welcome. You're listening to The Final Word on Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. It's July 28th, and I'm your host, Sean Orgentine, filling in for Gabriella Silvaponti. Today we'll be covering stories from Tim Horton's Rodent Story, to Movies Under the Stars at Downsview Park, to the TTC's Line 3 derailment. But first, let's take a look at today's top news. Tim Hortons has apologized after a mouse was spotted and filmed on a food preparation counter. The video, which has now garnered 1.8 million views, was filmed at a Napanee restaurant. CP24 reports the rodent can be seen exploring the kitchen area and jumping into a steel food and beverage container. The video was filmed on July 20th near a rack of beverage syrups and next to what appears to be a coffee preparation area. CP24 reports the Tim Hortons store has since been closed for deep cleaning and will be in consultation with pest control. In a statement to CP24, Tim Hortons representative said, quote, we have zero tolerance for these types of issues and immediately ordered that the restaurant be closed, unquote. They added, quote, the restaurant owners are committed to providing excellent guest experience in their restaurants, and they are just as disappointed as we are that this unfortunate incident occurred. They apologize to their loyal guests and have been working diligently to rectify this isolated incident to ensure nothing similar happens again, end quote. The statement also says that it believed the mouse entered through a small crevice, which has since been sealed. Tim Horton's res- representatives did not set a date for the restaurant's reopening. Ukraine will no longer ban its athletes from competing against Russian competitors in the Paris Olympics. The country had previously put in place a total boycott policy a year before the Olympics. President Volodymyr Zelensky had said in January that, quote, any neutral flag of Russian athletes is stained with blood, unquote. But Ukraine will now allow its Olympians to compete against neutral athletes, according to an order put in place Wednesday. CBC reports Ukrainian athletes will now only be required to boycott competitors from Russia or Belarus if they are competing under their national flags or symbols, or signaled an allegiance to either country. The International Olympic Committee will allow Russians and Belarusians to compete as neutral athletes without national symbols in Olympic qualifying events. Most governing bodies in Olympic sports have adopted this policy or are working to do so. But the IOC still recommends barring Russia and Belarus from team sports and excluding athletes who are contracted to the military or security forces. CBC reports one Olympic champion competed against an officially neutral Russian opponent. Olga Karlon competed against Anna Smirnova at the Olympic qualifying World Fencing Championships in Milan, Italy. CBC reports that some Ukrainian athletes publicly disagreed with the boycott policy, pointing to other measures like not allowing Russians to compete at all as the answer. Some Ukrainian athletes have refused to shake hands with Russian athletes after matches. The High Court in London ruled against Prince Harry's claim that there had been a secret deal between Buckingham Palace and Rupert Murdoch's newspaper group. Prince Harry had taken the newspapers to court over phone hacking claims. 
but the high court will allow him to take his lawsuit against news group newspapers to trial over alleged invasions of privacy by tabloids between the mid-1990s and 2016. These tabloids include The Sun and the now-defunct News of the World. News of the World issued an unreserved apology for widespread hacking of journalists in 2012. That forced Murdoch to shut it down. But NGN argued that in April, Harry's claims did not fall within the six-year time limit for legal action and should therefore be considered invalid. CBC reports Harry's lawyers claim he did pursue legal action sooner. However, there was a secret agreement between Buckingham Palace and senior figures at NGN. Judge Timothy Francourt said in Thursday's ruling that the allegations were made too late and he could not conclude there was sufficiently plausible evidence basis for the alleged secret deal. However, he added, the remaining claims must be tried. CBC reports he also told the court, quote, I do not find this is a case where it's p- possible to say one party is clearly the successful party, end quote. Yet NGN called Thursday's ruling a significant victory. An NGN spokesperson said, quote, It is quite clear there was never such an agreement, and it is only the Duke who has ever asserted there was, end quote. Buckingham Palace has not commented on the matter. CBC reports the Duke of Sussex was the first British royal to give evidence in trial in 130 years earlier this year when he testified as part of a case against the publisher of the Daily Mirror. He's also pursuing a case against the Daily Mail. He is blaming intrusive media for ruining some of his personal relationships and causing the 1997 death of his mother, Princess Diana, who died when her car crashed as it sped away from chasing photographers in Paris. Prince Harry is the youngest son of King Charles and the late Princess Diana. He is 38 years old. Today's temperature could go as high as 40 degrees. CTV News reports Environment Canada is forecasting a daytime high of 32 degrees with a humidex of 40. This will be some of the hottest conditions Toronto has seen so far this summer. The weather agency said in an advisory sent out today that residents should watch for effects of heat-related illness, including swelling, rash, cramps, fainting, heat exhaustion, heat stroke, and the worsening of some health conditions. The advisory states, drink plenty of water, even before you feel thirsty, and stay in a cool place. Also, don't forget to check on older family, friends, and neighbors. Make sure they are cool and drinking water as well. Although some may be looking for a quick way to cool off by heading to the beach, Toronto Public Health says that due to high E. coli bacteria levels, some beaches will also be closed. CTV reports Marie Curtis Park East Beach, Center Island Beach, Woodbine Beach, and Sunnyside Beach are all being considered unsafe for swimming. But the City of Toronto has extended the hours at 7 of its public pools to 11.45pm tonight. These include Alex Duff Memorial Outdoor Pool, Giovanni Kubota Pool, McGregor Park Outdoor Pool, Monarch Park Outdoor Pool, Parkway Forest Outdoor Pool, Smithfield Park Outdoor Pool, and Sunnyside Gus Ryder Outdoor Pool. You can expect to see some changes at Toronto's High Park due to construction. The city will be adding some bike lanes and reducing parking for cars starting August 5th. CTV reports that the City of Toronto said changes which are part of the high park movement strategy will improve how park visitors access and move around high park. Some changes include new car-free areas, no vehicle entrance on Bloor Street West, designated pickup and drop-off spaces near main attractions at the park, 
and improved pavement markings and signage for pedestrian crossing areas. Once again, you're listening to The Final Word. I'm Gabriela Silva-Ponte. Downsview Park is hosting Movies Under the Stars again, and this year it is proving to be missed. The event held its first movie showing Thursday, after its two prior sessions were cancelled due to weather conditions. Many attendees showed up, and I spoke to Downsview Park Manager of Education and Community Programs, Allison Best. She described what the event is like. Movies Under the Stars is our um, annual uh, summer celebration. Uh, we have people come and join us in the park for movie screenings. And so these are both contemporary movies um, and as well as movies from the past. It's free. It's an opportunity for community people from across Toronto and further afield to come join us in the park to spend the time together under the stars watching a movie, having these shared experiences. Best described why Downsview Park is the perfect location for the event. Well, Downsview Park is the perfect location to host any event, in my opinion. Um, but it's a great space. Um, we're really close to a lot of communities. We're close to transit lines, so it's easy for people to get there from across the city. We have plenty of parking, so driving is also an option. And it's just a great outdoor venue. We, are, we, we have our movies under the stars at our orchard, and so you're surrounded by these beautiful trees. You're right near a lake. You have this perfect combination of urban and kind of the rural feeling of being inside of a park, which is a wonderful experience, in my opinion, for a summer night. Attendees are encouraged to bring snacks and blankets to enjoy around the screen. This year, the movies showing include Top Gun Maverick, Strange World, and Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Best noted how the team picks out movies for showing. So we just look at what's been popular over the last year um, to figure out, you know, what are people going to be interested in? If we play something that nobody really cares about, that's not going to work very well. Uh, so we look at what are the big hits. And so um, this week we are doing Movies Under the Stars with Top Gun. Um, we've had a movie that's been rescheduled a few times. The weather this summer has not been cooperating. So we have Super Mario Brothers, the new movie. It's going to be played on July 31st. And so it's really like how do we get people out and playing contemporary movies is usually a great way to do that on august 31st is going to be our special nostalgia night and so that we are going to be putting out five options to the community and people are going to be able to vote on what movie they want and these are mostly 80s and 90s uh movies to see what people want to come out and see with us although the event has not been hosted yet this year she described what demographics she's seen in the past so this summer has been a bit of a challenge. Um, the weather has not cooperated. So our first one will be this week. Um, in previous years, we've had, you know, 500 to 1,000 people coming out for the movies. So big groups. And it's been people from all different backgrounds. So we've had, you know, lots of families coming out, having a picnic, as well as couples. We see all different individuals um, from, you know, 
across our city and across kind of the GTA who are coming out. I haven't noticed one specific demographic. We get a lot of people from like the neighborhood who can walk, but otherwise, you know, all over. Okay. And in previous years, um, have you received any, any feedback? If so, what's that been like? So it's been very positive. Uh, we took a hiatus probably about seven or eight years ago. and People really wanted it back. And so uh, during the pandemic, we changed our plan and we did drive-in movies. That way we could sell people out. Even when gatherings were really small, we had a maximum of, I think, 100 cars were allowed in. We did that. So we've been trying to, you know, kind of listen to what the community wants hear you know what kind of movies they're interested in what kind of experiences they want and movies under the stars has always been like one of the top uh, events of our summer season and best went into detail about what the park did with this event when the pandemic was around so we're lucky we work in a park um and so we were able to you know i know we're all sick of that word pivot we got to pivot all the time so when as soon as the government allowed drive-in movies which was actually fairly early on in the pandemic we started doing drive-in movies, and we did that for, I believe, two years, uh, where we had people in their cars driving in um, into what we call our festival terrace and set up a screen that way. And so we were able, still able to do that. And as soon as we were allowed to be back in person, um, we moved to The Orchard, which has been our new home for movies under the stars. And we had that. And really, our goal is to get people out into the park. And, you know, I'm really lucky that I get to work in a space that's outdoors. And so we saw, you know, people, especially during the pandemic, they wanted to be outdoors in our public spaces. And Downsview Park is a great example of how we can, you know, activate and get people out there, you know, no matter what the current uh, condition of the world is. The event is free, and weather permitting, we'll be hosting three more movie showings this summer. It begins at dusk, and those interested can register on Eventbrite. This next story of ours shines light on one of Toronto's cheapest restaurants. El Furniture Warehouse is located at 410 Bloor Street West in Toronto and offers food options under $10. It is a part of the Warehouse Group, which owns restaurants like Queen Street and Young Street Warehouses. I spoke with Regional Manager Dan Matos about how the restaurant keeps prices so low. Um, El Furniture Warehouse is a Vancouver-based uh, restaurant group um, that's come out to Ontario, I think, probably around a decade ago. Um, it's known for its cheaper food options for, um, I guess, the city of Toronto and across Canada. Um, there's 22 locations across Canada. Um, and yeah, just kind of like a fun nightlife bar, open 365 days um, during the year and then um, open 11 to 2 a.m. every single one of those days as well. Um, well, I think in the grand scheme of things, you know, when we did first open in Toronto, they were $4.95. And I think <clears throat> that was appealing to a lot of uh, um, people. Um, 
the way we keep it so cheap is just volume, kind of just kind of staying, you know, relevant. Um, we do have four locations in Toronto and one in London. Um, but other than that, um, our food has kind of progressively gone up over the years due to inflation. And um, we have a great team of us chefs working on, you know, things that we can build and make to put on our menu that, you know, are cost effective. Um, but right now our mission kind of is to stay below that $10 mark. Um, and that's kind of been our, our focus, especially this year with everything kind of going crazy. We've kind of been a little bit lackluster in the social media realm. Um, before it was kind of just like crowdsourcing, you know, people's videos of what they posted when they were there. And now we're just trying to, you know, we're, we're focusing a lot of on our, uh, sorry, we're focusing a lot of, uh, attention on our products and of our food. And, um, you know, we're getting good people to come in there and kind of take videos and kind of showcase that because I feel, um, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of the time during, especially during COVID, you know, we just did not have that attention. So we are trying to get that market back. Toronto Transit Commission's Line 3 experienced a derailment this week that left five injured. The rear car separated from the rest of the train and derailed just south of Ellesmere Station. The Scarborough-centered line will now rely on shuttle buses to serve approximately 30,000 individuals. Sheila Pisey Allen of TTC Riders described where she was when she found out and how she felt. Um, I found out because someone shared a post, uh, someone messaged me um, and shared a post on social media that showed a photo um, that a transit rider had taken of the decoupled train, someone from inside the decoupled train. And um, it, it was just so shocking to see um, an accident like this on the, on the TTC. And I actually started getting messages from people like, I was just on the RT today. Um, yeah, this this accident could have been so much worse we still don't know the cause but if it had happened at a different point on the track or the train had been going faster there there could have been um you know much worse consequences i think um you know number one um how could this happen you know how what number two at the same time like wow, the the RT is supposed to shut down in four months. Is this the end? I thought about all the things that the TTC is in the middle of doing to prepare for that shutdown and how unprepared we are right now to replace the service. Um, for example, the you know the RT carries a lot of people, and so to replace that level of service, the TTC needs to run seventy shuttle buses per hour, install red bus only lanes. And also change up Kennedy Station to install new bus bays, and that's not finished. Um, so I, I was just, yeah, thinking about what needs to happen immediately, but also just 
you know, just horrified that people could have been seriously hurt. She added that this wasn't the first time this has happened on the TTC. Last time, the transit company pledged to never let it happen again. So it's called the Russell Hill subway accident, and three people died. It was a much, um, you know, there was a crash, a subway crash, and um, many people were injured, seriously. What happened after that was a program called the State of Good Repair, where there was a bigger focus on, I mean, there was an inquiry, there's, you know, a checklist of, of safety measures. Um, but one of the outcomes is that the TTC reports on the you know, state of good repair. Right now, um, you know, the state of good repair is that actually has a huge backlog of uh, over $6 billion over the next 10 years. Um, and so, yeah, we, there's a lot of questions about how this incident could have happened. Like, is it a maintenance issue? Were inspections happening regularly enough? But it should be a wake-up call that we have to prioritize the basics of maintaining our existing system. Right now, the provincial and federal governments are investing tens of billions of dollars into new transit lines, but our existing system isn't being maintained properly. Like, just one example, last month, the TTC cancelled a request for proposals to replace the line to subway trains. They canceled it because the provincial and federal governments didn't provide funding. So we have to actually invest in the system we have to make sure it's reliable and safe um, for people to use. And it's sort of like seeing history repeating itself because, um, you know, the TTC is known for decades. They, they're going to need to replace the RT trains at some point. In 2006, there was a report recommending let's buy new RT trains. And then the following year, they changed course. They were like, you know what, we're going to replace it with Transit City with a light rail line, so we don't need to buy new trains. It's all getting replaced with LRT, which is going to go to Malvern. Well, fast forward, the new, you know, <laughs> plans have changed a number of times and there's no replacement. So it's, it's shutting down before anything is ready to replace it. And so that should just be a, a cautionary tale about we need, if staff are saying we need new trains, we need to invest in them now. I mean, it's not the first time there has been a derailment. I will say in Kiel um, in 2020, there was a partial derailment. And what the TTC found then was that they, they'd actually identified that there was a problem and it had never been fixed. Um, there was also a near miss more recently um, where a subway guard on line one was able to, they were in a pocket track, kind of like a siding, if you will. I don't know if that <laughs> that, that lingo means anything to you, but um, luckily this, the second staff person on the subway noticed that there was a train coming there about to collide and, and, and stop the train. And that's a staff position that has actually been phased out. Um, there, the TTC is, is moving towards single person um, operated trains on, on line one because they installed automatic train control. So it's, um, there have been these, you know, warning signs that um, the TTC is not being maintained properly and that, that um, investments in, in proper staffing and, and safeguards are not in place, but this is still um, total scandal and, and, and shocked me. Line 3 was supposed to shut down permanently later this year, yet the agency has said it might look to do so now. On the one hand, people are saying, well, we're not surprised that something happened. The RT has been underinvested in. Um, it has, it's, uh, you know, anyone who rides it knows that it is rickety. Like I've seen it, um, certain parts of it being held together with tape. I'm not kidding. I mean, cosmetic stuff, right? But it's, it's far past its designed lifespan. Um, it's really loud. Um, 
But on the other hand, we can't normalize that this happened. It is past its extended lifespan, but it has to be safe. People are still using it. It's totally unacceptable that this happened. Um, it should. It, I think people have been pretty blasé, like, well, we expected something like this to happen. No, I, I never expected an accident like this. This is, um, this is a scandal, and we need answers about how this could have happened. Experts are looking into why this happened. Line 3 has been operating since 1985. The TTC's own website mentions that the trains are currently 10 years past their design life. Prizy Allen described what TTC Riders is asking the city to do. Yeah, I don't, I don't actually live in Scarborough, but I, but I go there. Um, I went there yesterday, so today's Wednesday. I went on Tuesday to see how the shuttle service was going, and... Yeah, the shuttle's ride takes 10 to 15 um, to sometimes 20 minutes longer, depending on how bad traffic is. And that's exactly why um, TTC Riders has been asking City Council to install bus-only lanes um, for the replacement shuttle service. But also, uh, after the RT gets decommissioned, we want to see that corridor turned into a bus-only um, corridor. It would actually save 10 minutes in each direction because there'd be no traffic, a um, couple of spots where you'd have to cross the cross the road with a traffic light and that's it. So that's essential and that has to be fast-tracked. The problem is there's no funding to do it. Um, finally, the City of Toronto coughed up $3 million this spring to proceed with the design work, but the full um, cost to build the busway, $60 million or so is the latest estimate, um, and that's unfunded. <laughs> so the, the interim shuttle service is on the streets, and just imagine 70 buses per hour. It's That's a lot of buses. That's more than one bus per minute. We need bus lanes on the street to accommodate that and make sure that all the transit users don't get stuck in traffic. Um, the current, the TTC's plan, and again, they're, they're not ready to implement this plan yet because we, you know, they thought they had four more months, but it's to run this shuttle service northbound on Kennedy and southbound on Midland, which is different than the typical emergency shuttle service. Um, yeah, so the, the, the bus lanes having signal priority at traffic lights, like when I was on the shuttle bus yesterday, I didn't ride it during rush hour. So we moved pretty quickly, um, except when we got to intersections and I had to wait for multiple light cycles for left turning cars before our shuttle bus was able to go through. So that needs to change um, because we're talking about thousands and thousands of, of transit users relying on these shuttles. And then, yes, sorry, to, and then the, the bus way, the, the next step is yes, to transform the rail corridor and, and kind of, you know, they have to take out the rails, repave it. Um, and that would be in the rail corridor, be off-road, off which is why it would be so fast and reliable for transit users. And then, so, of course, the final step is the Scarborough subway extension, but the problem is <laughs> that's not going to be open for a long time. Yeah, so um, if the RT was up and running, um, it takes about 10 minutes um, to get from Kennedy Station to Scarborough Town Centre on the RT. And, and with shuttle buses, you know, yesterday my tri trip took over 20 minutes, but that was before rush hour had kicked in. So, you know, the TTC is estimating, 
you know, 25 minutes if all of their bus lane measures and signal priority measures are implemented. Without that, it will be, could be longer, especially during rush hour. That's our show. You've been listening to The Final Word on Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. I'm Gabriela Silva-Ponte. This episode was put together by myself, Sean Morgentine, and Owen Thompson. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week.